Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. When schools shut down because of the pandemic, dozens of technology platforms stepped in. They helped kids keep up their learning while at home. But according to Human Rights Watch, they also violated children's privacy. A new report from Human Rights Watch found that countries around the world were using technologies that were tracking kids' information. Their habits online, their favorite apps, even their location. All largely without their knowledge. I know we don't read privacy policies, but even the privacy policy didn't say all of the things that it was doing to this child and this child's data. He Jung Han led the report. She's a children's rights and technology researcher and advocate with Human Rights Watch. She's here to tell us what she found about how companies are collecting data, how it might be used, and why she's worried about it. This is The Decibel. Han, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So particularly in the like the early days of the pandemic, there was really a sense of panic to get kids and parents and teachers shifted to this whole new reality of online learning. But I'm wondering, from your perspective, what were you thinking when this whole online transition was happening? It does feel like yesterday when schools just shut down overnight and everyone, you know, parents, teachers and kids were really scrambling to figure out how to continue learning safely. And so I remember sitting in my tiny flat and seeing how governments were responding um, to this extraordinary crisis. And of course, many governments around the world suggested some form of online learning uh, for the families who could afford access to the Internet. But then I also realized and I started seeing governments making recommendations that raised some questions for me as to whether they were you know, checking to see if the products that they were recommending were safe for kids to use. But then I took a step back and thought, you know what, it's an extraordinary circumstance. These are emergency situations. So I actually waited a year. I waited an entire year, which gave, you know, governments and schools, um, I hate to say adjust to the new normal, but at least experience a new normal to be able to adjust Mm -hmm. and try to make better decisions or more informed decisions for children's online learning. Hmm. And in terms of like the programs and resources uh, that we're talking about here, can you give us some examples of what you were actually looking at? Of course. Um, So these were apps and websites. And I should point out that some of these apps and websites were designed specifically for children to use in education. And then, of course, there is another category of apps and websites like Zoom and WhatsApp and Facebook that weren't really designed for kids in education, but it just so turned out that they were the perfect tools to use during this crisis for kids. So this is all kind of operating within the realm of like education technology or ed tech, as, as we sometimes hear it being called, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you studied 49 countries uh, and 165 products that were endorsed by the governments of these countries. What did you find when it, when it comes to kids' online privacy? So I looked at the entire spectrum, really, in the world, including on all continents. And so that makes what I found even more astonishing, which was that of the 165 
edtech learning websites and apps that I looked at, the overwhelming majority handled children's data in some ways that either risked or infringed on their rights, particularly children's rights to privacy. Every single government I looked at, except for one, actually endorsed at least one product that risked or infringed on children's privacy, and that of all of the governments that created their own products for children to use because they were responding in an emergency, out of the 49, 39 of them created products themselves that also were unsafe for children to use. Uh, you mentioned there was one country that was an outlier there. What was what was that country? That country was Morocco, and we're pretty sure it was by accident. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Why do you think it's by accident? Because there was nothing that no evidence I found, no government document or policy I found that suggested that that government had built that product with children's safety in mind. I think it really was just a fluke and not by design. Hmm. Okay. So in your report, you, you give an example of a student in, in Istanbul, in Turkey. Can you just walk us through that example? What happens to him when he logs on to his virtual classroom? What's, what's being tracked there? That kid in Istanbul is a great story to tell because what I did was he's a nine-year-old living in Istanbul, and I worked with him and his parent, and essentially what I did was I, from a distance, looked over his shoulder as he went through his school day and saw what he was doing and how he was interacting with technology. So in this case, this boy, like many other kids around the world, he woke up at 8 a.m., you know, he brushed his teeth, he ate breakfast, and then he almost a little late logged into his online classroom <laughs> to start classes. And the moment he logged onto the learning platform that his school was using, instantly, within milliseconds, faster than the eye can blink, he was surrounded by a swarm of invisible trackers. And these trackers were not only surveilling what he was doing inside of the platform, and to think about it, that equivalent is like having a video camera trained on a student in a physical classroom, capturing mm. things like when they scratch their nose. It's that kind of detail. Mm. They were essentially harvesting all of these pieces of information about the behaviors this child was doing in the classroom, what he was typing, the kinds of doodles he was kind of doodling to, to his classmates as well, and transmitted this to scores of advertising technology companies who are essentially an industry where they take people's data, they try to make sense and guess at the person behind all this data. So they were all trying to guess what kind of person this boy might be, where he might live, even where he is as well, you know, his mm -hmm. physical location. And then we, we don't quite know the picture from there, but we do know that these companies then sell these insights to advertisers. So people who are looking to target boys like the one that I interviewed uh, could target them with um, personalized uh, content or with advertisements as well. So this one example, uh, this is a kid in Istanbul, but would this be similar to like a kid logging on somewhere in Canada? Would they kind of yes. experience the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens to that data then, all that data that's being collected about him? Where's it going? That's the thing. All of this was done secretly uh, without the boy knowing because it would just isn't present on the website. 
It's not visible to him or his parent. And I should also mention that the government didn't tell him that this product did these things. And of course, the actual product itself, I know we don't read privacy policies, but even the privacy policy didn't say all of the things that it was doing to this child and this child's data. So even if his parent went through and read that entire privacy policy, they would have no idea. There was no way for them to know. Han, if all of this is happening invisibly, how, how do you, as the researcher, how do you know that these apps are tracking all of this information? With a lot of coffee and a lot of chocolate. <laughs> so essentially what I did was I cracked open the code of each and every product and I looked inside of it to see what was going on. And so for websites, what we did was we actually captured in real time what these websites were collecting about kids and crucially, who they were sending it to. So we have all of the evidence for that. And with apps, what we did was, again, we peered inside the code and we looked at what the code was capable of doing. Was, it, was this app capable of collecting precise location data from, for children, for instance? And I should also point out here, I know that's a lot of jargon sounding to say precise location data. But what that really what that means mean? yeah. <laughs> is that... <laughs> Remember at the beginning of the pandemic, all of us were locked down in our homes and especially children were limited in where they were going. So for an app to collect precise GPS location data about children, what that means is that these apps were suddenly able to figure out where children lived, even if they were spending most of their times in their living rooms or their bedrooms. And that's particularly sensitive information that is, of course, has risks to misuse and exploitation as well. Wow. So this an app potentially could figure out what room is the child's bedroom based on where they're spending their time. Exactly. Wow. The reason why all of this, as invisible as it might be, is really, really scary and concerning to children and to parents and to everyone is that when children's information about children otherwise known as data, can be taken from them and spread and shared with a whole host of third-party companies you may not have ever heard of who could then use it for whatever purposes they choose to use it for, the risk of harm or exploitation to the child is immense. And that's incredibly concerning to me, especially, as I said, Children are spending increasing amounts of their childhood online. We don't yet know what the long-term impacts of all of this information is going to be on the child after they grow up as well. And I think for that reason, one of the biggest recommendations we're calling for is for all countries to adopt modern child data protection laws. And I know that's a little bit of a mouthful, but what that essentially means is that many data protection laws or laws that protect people's privacy were written at a time when the internet didn't look like the way it does now. I'm pretty sure none of us had heard of the word metaverse four years ago and <laughs> never imagined it might we might have TikTok or, or influencers. Yeah. So really what these laws should do is to make sure that children's data and children's privacy are protected in any online environment, however technology might develop, and for all governments to pass laws like that.
I guess just to go back to like what we know and what we don't know about what's happening here, the kid in Istanbul, him and his parents didn't know that he was being tracked in this way. Is this some is this what would happen in other countries, too? So like in Canada and North America, is that the case that people just don't know they're being tracked in these ways? Absolutely. Um, There were some cases where I would divide it into three categories, as it were. My research really looked into what kind of data that online platforms were collecting from children, how they were collecting it, and then who they were sending this data to. Um, And we covered the first and the third parts, but Sometimes it was the way in which they collected data from children that were extremely insidious. So to give you an example of that, some of the types of collection uh, of the types of data they collected, the tracking was so persistent that even if you were the tech-savviest person in the world and you had a PhD in computer science, you couldn't actually avoid that tracking unless you threw your child's phone away in the trash. That's how persistent these are. Once it gets on your computer or on your phone, there's no way to get rid of it and there's no way to protect yourselves against that. And so all of this is happening invisibly, right? So it's really, I think, shocking that governments didn't do their due diligence to check that all the products that they recommended for kids to use were safe for them before they endorsed it for general use. And how how did you, when you were doing all this, like, were you surprised to find this? I was. So I took a step back and thought, you know, forget about technology and forget about COVID-19 for a moment. Every government in the world has special protections for kids. And we all recognize that, right? Kids are entitled to special protections because of who they are. And so when it comes to education in the classroom, if you think about it, every government has laws and rules and safeguards to make sure that our kids are protected in physical classrooms, such as building codes to make sure that the school roof doesn't fall in kids, uh, fall in when kids are studying. So there's, there's so many rules and standards in place to make sure that our kids are safe in physical classrooms. And really the driving question behind this work was, were governments put, placing the same kinds of protections and making sure that kids were safe in their online classrooms? And what really astonished me was that very few, almost no governments uh, even bothered to check whether their products were safe for kids to use before recommending them. There's one thing to point out, right? When it comes to the internet, I think a lot of us have experienced, you know, talking to a friend about that pair of shoes you wanted to buy, or you looked it up online and suddenly those ads are following you around the internet. I think we've all had those kinds of experiences. And it's important to remind ourselves that we chose to let's say, use Netflix or use Facebook. Those are choices that we made about the kinds of services we use online. For children, it's a completely different story. During the pandemic, if your school told you that you had to use a certain product in order to complete your homework or attend online school that day, you had no choice. That's the thing. Children and their parents Firstly, weren't told that these products might be risky for children's privacy. But second, even if they were told they had no choice because the only alternative to not using those products would have been to drop out of school altogether during the pandemic. How did Canada do in this study? 
Canada did not do very well, but then again, no government did very well. <laughs> so if anything, Canada is on par with the Irans and Iraqs of this world. Um, I looked at Quebec um, just, at, just as like a random selection and looked at a few products that they had, the Quebec government had recommended there. Again, at the time, Quebec had recommended hundreds of products. So what I did was I randomly selected 10 as kind of a taste of the kinds of decisions the Canadian government was making. And in Canada's case, I found it was a mixed bag. There were a few products, uh, to my delight, that were completely clean. There was no ad trackers on the products. They weren't collecting children's data and sharing it in scary ways. And for me, that's extremely um, heartening that it is possible to deliver children's online learning without compromising their privacy. So there were some bright spots in Canada. Something you, you do talk a lot about, though, in your report is CBC Kids. What did you find with CBC Kids? So CBC Kids was astonishing to me, to say the least, um, because it is such a well-known, beloved uh, feature uh, for many Canadian kids. On CBC Kids, I found an astonishing number of third-party trackers, um, 30 of them, actually, and 15... Is that is that a lot? For, it's I, a I, lot. I have no idea. Comparable. It's yeah. a lot. So think about it this way. It's one website, right? It's one website that kids can use to, to go play a game online on CBC Kids or watch an episode of Paddington Bear or their favorite TV show. But again, like that story of the boy in Istanbul, the second that you step into CBC Kids, you have a swarm of these ad trackers and third-party cookies and actually something called the Facebook Pixel, which actually takes children's data and sends it to Facebook for advertising purposes. Um, and I found all of these things on the CBC site. So if CBC Kids if I'm a child, I'm a nine-year-old child in Quebec, and I log on to CBC Kids, and all of this information is collected about me and sent to many third-party companies, then I can't control that, right? I have no idea who these companies are, what they're doing with my data, what they might do with my data in the future, and how it might affect my privacy. Um, so that's particularly concerning, I think, just for kids and for parents as well as to the impacts of that. Yeah, I, I should say the Globe did ask CBC for comment about this, uh, and we received a response saying that CBC prohibits advertising targeting children uh, and that it, uh, quote, complies with relevant Canadian laws and regulations with regard to online privacy and follows industry practices in audience analytics and privacy protection, end quote. So if these companies aren't breaking any laws, if these organizations aren't breaking any laws, are, are they doing anything wrong? That's a great question. So there's two reflections I have from what, you to what you've told me about their response. The first is your question about whether it was legal or not, or if it was legal, is it really so bad? And that brings me back to, I believe that Canada is in dire need of updating its data protection laws to modern child data protection laws because the laws just aren't adequate. So many companies in so many countries around the world have been doing this for many, many years because it is quote unquote legal. But the real matter of the fact is that 
these laws just aren't adequate to protect our kids online. So the first thing is we need to do we need to update these laws. The second thing is, as we know with the internet, everything changes all the time. But even if one website at one point in time was doing this to children, that's still harm. So I think the other thing about making sure that governments pass these laws to really adequately protect our children online is that it needs to hold both governments and companies to account. It really does. It needs to make sure that any actor that is providing any kind of service to children online really takes children's privacy into account and not just in a tick box kind of way, but really thoughtfully design all of their uh, websites or apps so that by default and by design, they're offering the highest amounts of protection to children's privacy. So these are that's kind of the big picture legislative changes that uh, that you think need to happen. But Han, on an individual level, as a parent, as a guardian, how can you make sure when your kids are logging online, logging onto a website or an app, how can you make sure that their privacy is protected? That's a great question because at the end of the day, I was always thinking about what would I do, right? What can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? You know, pending writing to legislators to ask for change. So there's some immediate steps that you have in your control to do right now. Um, actually, Human Rights Watch is going to be publishing a guide for parents and teachers very soon that covers all of these steps. But essentially, there are some settings. If, you're, if your child is using a phone, there are some settings to help prevent ad tracking uh, from targeting your child. There's some very basic non-tech ways that you can do that. The second thing is, as part of this guide, we're releasing a set of five questions that parents and teachers can take to their schools and school districts to ask their schools to do right away. They don't require money. These are just basic common sense questions that they can ask to make sure that their school is protecting their child's privacy in any online learning space that they're using. Juan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.